0: You're listening to The Interview, in-depth retailer interviews with inspirational people. Hello, I'm Dave Evans, and welcome to the latest in the interview series from the Retail Exchange podcast, as we bring you a special episode from the heart of New York City. I'm joined today by Pooja Agarwal, the Chief Operating Officer of Birchbox. Pooja, welcome.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's our
0: pleasure. So tell us about the Birchbox brand strategy.
1: Sure, so Birchbox was started back in 2010 by Katia Bichamp and Haley Barna, and they really started it as a new way to discover beauty. I think that a lot of retail had already started to evolve and go online, but beauty was sort of the last to follow. And the idea was, how do you make shopping for beauty just easier? And so for us, it's really about putting it in the homes of our customer or just wherever they are. And we really target a very specific beauty customer who actually makes up the majority of the population. We call them the casual beauty consumer. And so for us, we know that their beauty spend isn't really driven by passion, it's driven by purpose. It's about something that helps them feel better and fits into their life, but they don't wanna make more time for it. And so for us, that is the business solution we're really trying to create, is a way to discover beauty in a way that works for you.
0: What was the standard path for that customer to purchase their beauty supplies previous to something like Birchbox?
1: I think there were many paths. I think the one which a lot of people talk about is maybe go to a prestige store, a specialty beauty retailer that were popping up, and you just go and you feel overwhelmed, but you're like, that's the only place I know to buy beauty. Or you have the opposite path, which is let me go into mass retailers like Maybe a drugstore or maybe a traditional sort of clothing retailer like a Macy's and you just go to a counter and you just buy something. But it's not because they didn't have the appetite to spend more and discover. It was just they didn't know what to do. So I'd say those are the two big paths. And then really there was a third path, which is just people just didn't do it. People just said— This is overwhelming. I don't want to participate. I'm not going to do it.
0: So then Birchbox comes in and tries to reinvent that process for the consumer. And what does that look like?
1: What that looks like is really a safe space for you to try products, discover what works for you. So you fill out a profile. Start by telling us about yourself. Tell us what you like, what you don't like. Tell us what categories you're interested in. And we're going to send you five products a month, and you get to try it in the comfort of your own home. You don't have to immediately spend money on a full-size product and then try to realize you don't like it and then leave it. Like How many times do you buy something and you use it once and you're like, I hate this, and then you just stare at it on your counter and you're like, wow, this is here to remind me every day. What a mistake I made. Um, And so for us, it was like, try this sample, see if it works for you. If it works for you, great. Go on and buy it. Or Maybe you don't actually know how to use that sample, and so let us give you some content to teach you more about what is a serum, or do you really need a moisturizer, do you need a daytime or a nighttime moisturizer, and so we can give you some content to even teach you about the category, and then you feel more comfortable making your purchases. So it was really more of a relationship rather than a transactional experience between a retailer and a customer was really the biggest change in how that interaction worked.
0: (laughs) So what does the box look like? Someone, and maybe we could speak historically even, in the beginning, what did the box look like and what, what is it like for the customer experience?
1: I'd say from the beginning, the one thing we really cared about was making it feel like it was a special moment for you. We didn't want you to just like get this like cardboard box in the mail with some stuff in it, and then you just like take it out and it just like feels like another thing you have to do. We really wanted it to feel like a present to you. And so it started by being this, like, really cute brown cardboard box with tissue paper in it. You opened it, and it felt like a moment. We always included a product card that also described what are the products, what are they used for, the pricing of the full size, so that way you also had all the information. Because also the worst thing you could do is, like, really like a product, and then it'd be out of your price range, and you're like, great, I discovered this, but, like, this doesn't fit my life. And so it started those basics, and we've really continued down that same path for the 10 years. We still stick to the fact that we want this to be a beautiful experience, but now we change your monthly box design every month, and people really end up saving the boxes, and they become keepsakes, and sometimes we'll do a bag, or sometimes we did in December this really cute box that turned into a picture frame, and so that way you're really reusing the elements we give you, and then now we still give anywhere from five to six to seven products based on what they are. But everything is a deluxe sample, so that way you have a couple of uses out of it. It's really hard to know you try it once if you like it or not, so we want to make sure people can try things a couple of times. And then we really stay true to giving content to our consumers. I would say the piece that has changed about our experience is we've really learned that some of our consumers want more control, and so we've added customization to their boxes. They can log in, and they can choose maybe a specific box they want that month, or maybe just one sample, so that way they're like, I really wanted to try that. Or maybe they just need to take a break, and so they can come in and they can decide, instead of getting a box that month, I wanna get points in our eShop. So that way they can come in and buy the full-size item they really liked. So it's really about just giving them more options to interact with beauty the way that they want to.
0: What does the follow-up experience look like from Birchbox communication-wise to see what was liked and not liked from the box that month?
1: We really try to keep it very easy for our subscribers, knowing that it's not a big part of their life. They don't really want to spend a lot of time doing anything with it. So it's as simple as going in, review your products, tell us if you liked it, you didn't like it, and then that way we can incorporate that feedback into your future boxes. So it's really about us doing the heavy lifting for them.
0: How would you say the shopping habits of beauty customers are changing now with more of these subscription models coming online and even the face of beauty retailers changing? How are the habits changing with that?
1: I think one of the biggest things that's changing in beauty but really everywhere is this idea of a brand and a connection. I think for a while, there was this really direct connection, even like home selling, right? People would go into your homes and sell you products. And then it really transitioned into mass selling, and it was about, how quickly can I get it? Or how many options can I have? or I want to know everything that's out there in the market. And I think now we're readjusting sort of back into that middle of people want to feel an emotional connection. I think beauty and grooming in particular is a very personal space. It's a space that's unique for everybody. It's different even then. I think lifestyle and fashion which is where I used to work in where a lot of times there's trends right there's trends everybody kind of wants that kind of pattern or that kind of shirt but in beauty that doesn't really work your skincare is your skincare based on where you are your hair is your hair and only certain things work for that and so I think the biggest thing changing in beauty is this like one to one relationship people want to feel with a company they want to feel understood they want to feel like people take the time to talk to them and it's available where they are a lot of people don't want to spend a lot of time still in the market. And so we think it's really about building a human connection, and that's where the retail landscape's going.
0: So, as Birchbox develops that relationship with the consumer, what are you hoping the consumer. Um, you mentioned home sales, which is a great comparison because now we're back in the home, um, but as opposed to a brand representative coming in and selling you as a friend, perhaps. But now, what do you hope that relationship is between your consumers and their friends and Birchbox? And maybe where does the sample's size play into that sharing?
1: Yeah. We love to think of Birchbox as sort of your, like, beauty and grooming friend who's the person who would come talk to you. And what we've really seen happen since the beginning days is that expands and into an entire Birchbox community. We always see people talking about and sharing their boxes, and they're like, I got this box, or I got this box this month, and these are samples I love, these are samples I loved. And now it's even expanding into, like, do you want to do a sample swap? Or we started, um, we started this unboxed group on Facebook, which is really fun, and we actually participate very little in it. But it's amazing to see our subscribers interact with each other, and they're like, hey, I'm looking for a new moisturizer. Who has new recommendations? Or things like that. And so... It's really about building a community which we can be part of rather than lead. I think that it's important to be humble in this experience of beauty because people have such different interactions and journey with it. And so we love that there's a community built around us, but not underneath us.
0: When we think of how the habits are changing, and certainly on the retail front, the beauty shopper habits have changed too, how does Birchbox fit into that landscape?
1: We believe that offline is still a big part of the retail journey. I think we didn't originally set out to have stores and do that experience, but pretty early on we started by opening up our own store and doing our own pop-ups. And last year we actually ended up launching a partnership with Walgreens. And we really believe that that human one-to-one interaction is still really important in the beauty space. I think you still want to see somebody, you still maybe want to try something right away in person. And- those customers are incredibly valuable. We've even learned that if a customer has an interaction in real life in one of our physical retail spaces, their lifetime value to us goes up two times. So there's no way that physical retail is going anywhere. I just think like the design and shape of it will continue to change.
0: Is it mostly used as as brand awareness or do you find that current Birchbox subscribers are even using it as a way for even faster or more specific acquisitions of products they've already received?
1: I think both. I think that the digital landscape for paid marketing is getting very expensive, very crowded. And so there's no doubt that physical footprints are a marketing vehicle. And we know that, too, getting your brand out there, having a partnership with somebody like Walgreens really helps enhance your brand. But I think more importantly, it goes back to sort of the earlier point of it's where our customers are. Our customers are already going into Walgreens. And so if we can make it easier for them by just being there, and if they want to pick up their shampoo on the go, go ahead, pick it up, it's already there. And so I think that consumers are liking that they can get their products wherever and whenever they want They're not just limited to ordering it online or just getting it in their box. Now they can actually go into, like, their local drugstore and get whatever they wanted.
0: One of the main selling points of any subscription service, um, certainly when it's not based on private labels, is curation. What's the curation strategy of Birchbox?
1: I think it really comes back down to focusing on our core customer. It is really about focusing on that casual beauty consumer. And so... We think about products that are easy and convenient and will help you save time or will help you enjoy the time that you're already spending on your routine rather than being like, we're going to send you a five-step how to do a smoky eye routine. Like That's just not our consumer. Maybe they want to do it if they're going to a special party or if they are doing a costume or something like that, but on their everyday routine, it's not something they're doing, and so we've really focused on products that will give them the experience they want rather than trying to serve the entire beauty market.
0: Now, it's no surprise probably from the sound of my voice that I'm a male and I'm not, I am not—I don't consider myself a beauty shopper, but I do subscribe to a box service. I get my razor blades from one and I've really appreciated, um, A, the convenience of receiving it at home, but I do like discovering new things. But, where does the male fall in Birchbox's strategy?
1: It's very much the same as our beauty strategy, as our grooming strategy, just because it's not talked about as much. So one of my favorite things that I learned once getting involved with the grooming business is that there is no doubt that grooming customers care just as much as beauty
0: I care. customers. Can, yeah. Can you see how my beard is yeah. so nicely trimmed? I, I do care.
1: Yeah. They just don't want to talk about it. Right. <laughs> They're not like hanging out with their friends and being like, hey... Your beard looks great today. What'd you do for it?
0: Although I do appreciate hearing that.
1: Yes. (laughs) And so this is the whole trend that's changing is like, one, I think that subscriptions have created more of a conversation for grooming. I think, two, it still allows grooming customers a space to enjoy in their own privacy and try things out because everybody wants to feel good. Everybody wants to feel good about themselves. And so what better way than to have it in your home, trying it yourself, and then ultimately it will start a conversation with your friends. Like, I know all of my friends who have subscribed to the Grooming Box are now all talking about it, and they're like, wait, can I just like get one more?
0: I do have a text chain with my male friends where we do discuss these kind of products, but it's interesting. I mean, I remember a shaving store that was uh, certainly popular 15 years ago when it came out. I didn't necessarily enjoy going. It felt... Too excessive. I don't know if that's a guy thing or not, but it so for not having a space to comfortably go to, bringing that to the home seems to make sense. So, how does that experience look differently on the grooming side with Birchbox?
1: It looks pretty similar, honestly. It's also a monthly subscription where you get five to six products to try a month. The categories are different, and I think the profile becomes even more important in a grooming. Subscription because you need to tell us about your hair preferences, your facial hair preferences, things like that. But other than that, it's pretty similar. There isn't a big difference, I think, between beauty and grooming. I think marketing has made it a big difference. But I don't think the end user actually finds it to be that different outside of the categories and what you use.
0: Where does the motivation for self-care and that approach fit in?
1: I think... For us, and I can speak to this being a casual beauty consumer myself, is I don't have a lot of time. I think a lot of people, no matter what you do, no matter what your job is, no matter how you spend your day, everybody always wants a little more time. And as a result, we're always in a rush. We're always like, oh, I just got to get to the next task. I have to get to the next task. And you just stop enjoying. And so for us, what we're saying is don't spend more time on self-care. We know that already feels impossible. But we're saying the time you already are spending on the things you do every day, right? People's beauty and grooming routines are an everyday routine. Just enjoy it a little bit. Feel like you're taking care of yourself. Feel like you are loving yourself. And so for us, it's really about that journey of enjoying the moments that you're already spending in your day rather than saying, you need to have this whole self-care routine. And I can't believe you're not spending an hour on self-care every day. Like, it's okay if you only have five minutes. Just spend those five minutes, but enjoy them.
0: Where do we find that messaging? Where does Birchbox put that messaging?
1: So this past year, we released a new brand campaign. It's really about you time. And so what we consider you time is truly as literal as it is, time you spend with yourself. And so for us, you'll see it in our videos. You'll see it in our content. You'll even see it on all of our social media feeds. You'll even see it in the people that work there, right? Our staff at Walgreens or even our staff at Birchbox— We all really believe in this. And so I think it's really a 360 approach. And it's easy to be a 360 approach when your brand really believes in it.
0: Walgreens makes so much sense as a partnership because there is Walgreens everywhere. We see it on almost every corner. But what is it like for Birchbox to live in another retailer's space?
1: I think at first we sort of had the question of – Is this going to work? Is it going to make sense? Are we going to be able to maintain our brand identity? Are we going to be able to maintain the brand's brand identity? Because now you have a brand in another brand in another brand. That feels far away. But what I think it really comes down to and what ended up working for us is the staff. It is really important to have staff that cares and that can speak to all of the brands and speak to the Birchbox brand and speak to why the partnership makes sense. And so we were really lucky and we have amazing beauty consultants in all the spaces. I think the second is the experience. We did create a very branded experience within the Walgreens to distinguish that this is a birch box area, but we didn't make it so separate where there's doors or walls or anything like that because it's okay if you shop in mass and you shop in prestige, and we wanted to keep that really fluid, but at the same time, we wanted to sort of share the things we've learned online, like curation like customer favorites, like how we shop by categories instead of brands, which is really different than how most beauty retailers are set up, right? If Whether you walk into a specialty store or you walk into a drugstore, it's all done by brand. And we're like, that seems confusing. If I want to find a face wash, why are your face washes not all in one area so I can compare them? So we did change some like true layout stuff. But We really, like, ultimately wanted to lean into the staff and having it feel really fluid and comfortable.
0: Seeing the birch box section in Walgreens makes so much sense. But someone just hearing about it that says to themselves, well, I've been in pharmacies. I've seen the travel section uh, of sample size things. What is the differentiator?
1: (sighs) To be honest, it's the brands. I think it's the fact that these are new brands that people can try is a really big deal. I also think, I mean, this sounds really simple, but we think it's a big game changer is like just the look and feel. Like when you walk into a Walgreens, a birch box area is so exciting. We've made it feel like a home. We've brought our core principle of feeling at home into a Walgreens store. So could you ever imagine going into a Walgreens and being like, actually, I kind of want to spend 20 minutes here. And so that's what we think changes. We invite you into our space. We don't say, hurry up, choose something, and leave. We're like, come have a conversation with us. Come try products. We have a tester for every single full-size item, which is not common in drugstores. But we're like, come test the product, see what you like. And so, yes, there are travel-sized items, and there's a whole travel section. But for us, we really consider ourselves like a brand experience, and it's really about being immersed into the Birchbox world.
0: When we think about the future of retail, this certainly sounds like it. I mean, it, we're talking about a different experience within kind of a legacy retail space. What do you think the future of retail looks
1: like? I think it's pretty similar to that. I think I do think one thing that's going to happen are a lot more partnerships. I think that consumers don't want to go into 12, 15 different stores anymore. That's time-consuming. It's confusing. And so I think we're going to see a lot more partnerships come to life where – How do you find customers who have like behaviors and combine those behaviors? I think the other thing that's going to change is this idea of a human connection. If you're going into physical retail, you've actively chosen to not buy something quickly online. And you want to connect with a human. And so I think people are going to continue to invest more and more in those human interactions and having a space that feels comfortable and easy I think this idea of having, like, hundreds of products on a wall is going to become overwhelming without information. And so I see a retail world that is much more simple and curated, but also filled with similarities between brands.
0: Personally, when you shop, how do you like to go about having those physical retail experiences?
1: I I mean, I guess I should say that I'm pretty biased in my why I think that's the future of retail, because it is how I shop. I'm one of the few people who still loves to go in a store. I love the idea of if you have a really helpful team member who like takes me around the store and is like, try this, try this, try this. I'm like, great, I'll buy all of it. Or I walk into a store and there's 10 choices as opposed to when I log online and I feel overwhelmed by hundreds of choices online. So I really love an experience where I can walk in. It feels clean. It feels simple. It feels easy. And also it feels like I'm not alone, but I'm also not being sold to. And I think That there's no point in having physical retail unless it makes it easier. It has to make it easier. Otherwise, like, why would you not just go online and have it shipped to your home where you can just deal with it yourself?
0: Right. I mean, there are certain products in all of our lives as consumers that we know we need, and we need them on a regular basis, and we're just consuming them. But then when it comes to discovery, I think maybe is that where Birchbox sets itself apart?
1: I think so. I think discovery is definitely one. I also think with beauty and grooming, it's a space that's primed for discovery, because there's different seasons as you age, your skin changes, or maybe your routine changes, or maybe there's a new life event that's happening, or you're starting a new job. So I think in those spaces in particular, discovery will always be a part of it, because as life changes, so will your routine. But I also think even for the everyday consumer, like, there is something nice about going in and being like, I need to buy a bottle of water. Why don't I just pick up my staples while I'm here, too? So I do think there is an element of convenience as long as you're in the right locations. I think that if you have to drive 15, 20 minutes to get a lipstick, you're probably not as likely to do it.
0: What is the evolution of Birchbox? We have a decade under our belt now, and we're entering a new decade now. What has the evolution been, and what does the future decade hold?
1: It is our 10-year anniversary. We're so excited about it. And I would say that for us, what the future really holds is a continued evolution of our product based on what the casual beauty consumer wants. So it would be hard for me to sit here today and say in three years we're going to be doing this or even in two years we're going to do this because we really believe in that feedback cycle from the customer. And I would say that's what our evolution has been over the last 10 years. I think customers told us what they want, and that's what we keep doing. They're like, we want more choices. We're like, okay, we hear you. They're like, we want more content. Okay, we hear you. We want to be able to buy this offline. Okay, we hear you. And sometimes we'll try it, and it'll be a miss. But then sometimes we do something, and we don't even know how much it resonates. And so I would say our path to evolution isn't that different. I would say it's just much more focused on the casual beauty consumer as opposed to the entire beauty space— And it's much more iterative. I think we really want to keep building on a product that we know that our subscribers already love.
0: Birchbox was very early, too. I'm not sure first, but very early to the subscription box uh, beauty service. There are more challengers now than there were 10 years ago. Um, What does that landscape look like?
1: It is competitive. (laughs) That's for sure. I don't think you can deny that. Um, We do like to believe we were the first— but I think the truth is is the things that set us apart is really the consumer we target. People are still going after really the people who are spending a lot of dollars in beauty prestige, the casual consumers being overlooked every day. And so I think for us, it doesn't feel as much like a competition because we are building a unique product for a customer that's still underserved. And I think the other piece is around that connection. I don't think we're trying— to be a product for everybody. I think we want to build deep relationships with our customers and our subscribers, and the only way you can do that is by creating a really great product that they love. And so, yes, the space is competitive when you look at it topically, but I think once you break it down to like the space that we're playing in, which is this idea of human connection for the casual beauty consumer, it becomes pretty small pretty fast.
0: 10 years is a long time, and I'm sure many challenges have come up over the 10 years of Birchbox, but what has been some of the major challenges and how were they overcome?
1: Yeah, we've definitely had challenges. You can't build a business for 10 years and not have them. So I would say, I think looking back, one of the biggest challenges we had was a couple of years we changed our loyalty program. And we sort of approached it kind of by the books of business. We're like, okay, these are the 10 steps you need to take if you're making a big change to a program that your customers interact with. And it was just the wrong move. I don't think the changes we made were necessarily wrong, but I think the way we approached it was not the right thing. And I think it was such an eye-opening experience to remember that we need to operate from a customer-human-first perspective. And Ultimately, we ended up taking those learnings from what customers told us, the feedback they gave us, their emotions around it. And last year, we changed the actual price of our product. So some would argue a bigger change than the loyalty program. And we approached it from a human-first perspective. We went out there. We were really transparent about what we're doing, why we're doing it, what are the customers going to get out of it. And the response we got to that was just radically different. And so I think a lot of our learnings were really around how do you interact with customers along the way? Like, of course, you're going to have to change your business model. Of course, you're going to have to make hard decisions as you're figuring this all out, right? There weren't other subscription companies to learn from. We couldn't be like, oh, they're doing it that way, so we should do that too. And that's okay, but it's how you bring the customers along the journey with you that matters. And I think it just took us some time to learn that, and I think it takes all businesses time to learn that.
0: Similar in the roots to market, you've said that you tried pop-ups and then the standalone store and now the Walgreens concessions. What have we learned about what works and what doesn't work?
1: If I'm being honest, I think we're still learning. I think the the mix of how much do you rely on people versus just experience is still something we're playing with. I think the idea of location to your customers is really important. So. We have learned that just having one standalone store is pretty difficult. You become a destination shopping spot, which is not really what our consumers looking for. And I think how you brand, how easy you make it to discover in a physical retail space is also something we're learning. We've learned that category shopping works super well, but what we're still learning is how many choices do people want? Do they want a wide selection? Do they want a smaller selection? So. I think there's certain things we figured out like staffing really matters, making it really easy to shop matters, location matters. But I think we're still learning what is the ideal selection, number of categories, number of items per category, things like that. So
0: being a digital first business allowed you to be nimble with those changes. But once you're in the retail world, uh, do you feel more constrained? Is it harder to implement those changes quickly? Or is the way you've laid out the Walgreens concessions allow you to continue to be nimble?
1: I think it's a mix. I think you're inherently a little bit more challenged when there's fixtures and shelves. That's just like a physical constraint. (laughs) But we actually approached it with a very digital-first mindset. And we're like, okay, these are our category pages, we know we have a certain number of slots, and at some point it becomes unshoppable. Same thing happens online. Okay, we know we want to have certain moments, maybe an editorial storytelling moment, or we want to feature these products like you can on a website. We're like, okay, how do we create display tables and places where you can really tell a story? And so I think for us, it was using the strengths that Walgreens has as a physical retailer in like creating shoppable moments combined with our strengths as a direct-to-consumer sort of digital experience to say, okay, how do people actually want to navigate and combining those two together. So it created a lot more flexibility than I think exists in a normal physical retail world. But definitely, I mean, you definitely have more constraints in some ways when you're offline.
0: But the approach is almost a physical direct translation of the digital experience in the store.
1: Uh, I'd say it's a blending of the two because there's definitely some things you do online that you would never do in physical retail, right? Like how many SKUs you have. We're like, great, you have so many different ways to categorize it. You have search, right? Search online has changed the number of items you can sell. You don't have that in physical. And so there's certain things like that you kind of have to tweak back to remember. Like why does physical have to be laid out the way that it is?
0: What is the physical equivalent of search?
1: Your staff. Your staff is your physical equivalent, where you can be like, you're human. You take actually better inputs, right? You can ask a consumer what they want, and then if they have great product knowledge, which great staff will, they can help lead you in the right direction. We've also tried some physical stuff, like on our category walls, you'll see that I'm going to use skincare, for example. There's really four steps to what we believe a skincare routine is. It's like moisturize, treat, like SPF, or protect, we call it, um, and clean. And so we have those across the top, and then along the vertical, we're like, what type of skin do you have? And so there's some self-navigation now as well, but really, I think that at the end of the day, your staff is your search.
0: How does your staff, how are they trained to balance the difference between the Birchbox brand ambassador experience and then the brand brand ambassador and experience?
1: I think they're trained to not really know the difference. So Birchbox trains all of these beauty consultants, and we really spend time on educating them about every single brand, their backstory, what each product can do, and they understand the story of Birchbox. And really, in order to be effective, you kind of have to be able to put all of that together, and then all in a framework of Walgreens. Because the truth is, they, they should be hopefully navigating customers between mass and prestige, because not everybody needs an entire prestige routine and not everybody needs an entire mass routine. And so it's really the strongest staff are the people who can navigate between all of it and speak to the value that this product brings and why is this product interesting and why do you maybe not need this product? But I have the one that's maybe a little bit cheaper that works for you. and so. For us, the goal is for it to not be distinguishable between like what is Birchbox versus what is a specific brand versus what's Walgreens. It really should feel like one cohesive experience.
0: Without choosing uh, as a recommendation, but maybe on a personal level, where do you skip prestige and go with mass?
1: So everybody at Birchbox already knows this about me. <laughs> I am very, I don't know how to use makeup. I very recently learned about skincare and am now realizing it's an important thing in your life as you get older, which I refuse to admit for a long time. Um, but hair was always the thing I, like, really cared about. And so I spend a lot in prestige to make it so I never have to wash my hair. But when I wash my hair, I just spend it in mass, and I'm like, great. I don't need to spend a lot of money here. Um, makeup, because I don't use a lot of makeup. I have a few prestige items because it goes a long way as opposed to, like, I'm not trying trends and things like that, so— if I was, I guess I'd use mass. Um, and skincare is a piece I really invest in for prestige. I think it's like lifelong makeup. If you can protect your skin, it'll be great. Good
0: friend of mine on this text chat I was referencing just told me the other day that he doesn't wash his hair. He hasn't washed his hair in a year. Freaked me out a little bit.
1: Oh, it's the dream. I try to make it as long as possible without washing my hair.
0: I didn't know this was a thing.
1: Oh, it's we used to. Um,
0: now I'm now I'm concerned. I wash my hair far too much.
1: It could be a thing. Um, if you go back to, like, the old archives of Birchbox social media, you'll see we did what's called a dry hair challenge. Um, or was it the dirty hair challenge? It's one or the other. but
0: Some kind of challenge. It's some
1: kind of challenge to see who could go the longest without washing their hair and just using dry shampoo. It was an amazing challenge, and really, people looked incredible. I could talk about dry shampoo all day. It's my favorite thing.
0: <laughs> well, since we're, we're focusing on you, tell us about your career journey. What has that been like?
1: It's it's been fun. If I would use one word, it would be that it's been really fun. I have not taken a traditional path at all, I would say. I graduated college in 2008, really the worst time to graduate college, and I made an amazing decision that's like, I really want to work in fashion in New York. So I left college without a job, much to a lot of people's dismay, Um but I ended up getting an internship at Guilt Group because I just I was a person who cold emailed everybody. And I was like, please, just meet with me. And I got this internship there. And that's really where I started this journey of just always say yes. Just like try new things and say yes and learn. And so at Guilt Group, and for those of you that don't know, Guilt Group was one of the first flash sale online retail companies. And there I did everything from buying to sales operations, to creative operations, to strategy. And it was really this sort of experience of take in as much as you can and learn every facet of a business because like that will only help you in the end. I had amazing mentors there. I learned to manage teams there. I learned to manage budgets there. I really like went down this checklist of like, what are all the skills you need to have and how do you learn as many areas of a business as possible? And then I came over to Birchbox because I had gotten introduced to Haley. And she asked me if I would be interested in running operations. And truth be told, I'd actually never directly run operations before, fulfillment. So I'm, like, very surprised I got the job, but very excited I got it. Um,
0: Fake it till you make it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure they would love <laughs> That idea. But it worked out really well. And I think it's because they believed in sort of that path I'd built at Gilgriper. I was like, I'll just learn it. I was like, I don't know it, but I will learn it. And I will try new things. And I I had already built all these core skills. So they just directly applied. And so at Birchbox, then I started doing the same thing. And so I ran operations for a while. And then I took on the grooming business. And then I took on customer service. Then I took on retail. And then I became the COO. And so it's just this idea of continuously trying new things and not being afraid of the fact that I might not have direct experience in it, but I'm going to learn it and I'm going to figure it out. And then I did hit a point eventually where I was like, I do want to get some more, like, tactical, real sort of, like, fundamental knowledge. And so I ended up going back to business school and doing the executive program at NYU, which for me I found really helpful because it just gave me some of the foundations I didn't have before and I met an amazing group of people. But I would say, like, my I, the way I would sum up my career is try a lot of new things, build a lot of skills, and don't be afraid of what you don't know. Um, somebody will give you a chance on it.
0: A lot of the big lessons come from successes, but some of the best lessons come from challenges and failures. What maybe was a good example of one of those for you?
1: I failed all the time. It's okay to fail. Things are going to go wrong. Inevitably, things are going to go wrong. A transition is going to go wrong. A switch is going to go wrong. But people can't be supportive and help you along the way unless you tell them what's happening and you tell them, like, hey, these are the risks. These are the things that could go wrong.
0: What What drives you on a personal level?
1: Uh, <laughs> it's a good question. I actually don't really – I'm not one of those people who has, like, this need or set out to ever be a CEO. I never was like, that's what I want to be in life. I'm really driven by, like – continuously being challenged, and continuously building something that's interesting. I love building something that's new that people haven't done before. So, like, building this Walgreens partnership was so fun for me because it hadn't been done. Or, like, coming to Birchbox and being at one of the first subscription companies, I was like, this is fun. I get to build something new. And so I'm really personally driven by just, like, learning and trying new things and inventing things and putting them out into the world.
0: So if your personal drive is new challenges, how do you take that drive and then use that in your leadership skills?
1: I think by encouraging my teams to do the same. And the only way you do that is by, one, putting them in circumstances which are new and challenging for them where they might be uncomfortable and be like, I don't really want to do this. And two is you have to be supportive when things go wrong. Because that's the only way they're going to learn and actually build new things is if they're not afraid of what's going to happen if something messes up or doesn't go well. And so I think for me, really stretching people and saying you – putting them almost in reach roles all the time I think is a way you grow a team into actually being leaders and building new stuff in the world on their own.
0: I mean it's no secret in life that uh, at the COO level – There's a lot of work to be done in life. What does decompressing look like for Pooja?
1: For me, it's about just enjoying my life. I think sometimes you leave work and you feel stressed and you're like still thinking about work, but I really try hard when I leave work to love my life. And I have hobbies and things I like to do, like I used to dance a lot while growing up and I just started dancing again, and I'm really bad at it, but it's really fun to just like be like, I'm here and enjoying it. Or I take three to four trips a year anywhere I want, and I just truly let go and don't work and explore the world.
0: We're talking about retail, being consumers. We're all consumers. This what are you into a from a consumer standpoint?
1: I am really into, actually... And this is this is not a plug. I'm really into this idea of self-care. I'm like trying weird things. I'm like, great. You have a yoga class that's in a dark room and hip hop music's playing. Yep. I'm going to try that. Or like.
0: Have you tried the goat yoga yet?
1: No, I'm afraid of animals. So we're <laughs> okay. not going to go to goat <laughs> yoga. I'm like into fear, but not that kind of right. Fear. Um, so I'm like really into this idea of self-care, even just like face masks and things like that, things I never thought I would do. I'm also really into activities. I'm a consumer of activities and, like, experiences. So whether that's going to a cooking class or going on a trip or even just, like, how do I maybe go to an improv class or a dance class and try something I've never done. So I'm really into experiences lately. I feel like living in New York, you're overwhelmed by stuff and you're overwhelmed by, like, fashion and beauty. And I think partly as I work in retail— And so I like the idea of being consumed by things that are not stuff. So that's where I am right now.
0: Well, Pooja, thank you so much for your insight. And thanks for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me. It's been so fun.
0: You've been listening to The Retail Exchange, your industry podcast. Stay up to date with new podcast episodes by subscribing online at theretalexchange.co.uk and join the debate on Twitter,
1: hashtag retail exchange.